Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Zengzi and Great Learning. There's a story from ancient China about the power of rumor, or as people like to say now, the power of disinformation or fake news. A long time ago, there was a good and upright young man named Zheng Shen. And his mother was a respected matron who knew her son to be a good and law-abiding young man. But one day, as the mother was home alone, weaving on her loom, a woman came to the house and said to her, Your son, Zheng Shen, has killed a man. The mother said, No, that's not possible. I know my son, and he would never do something like that. And she carried on weaving. Then a second man came to her house and said, Zheng Shen has killed someone. Again, the mother dismissed this and carried on. But then a third man came to her and said, Zheng Shen has committed murder. Finally, the mother believed it. Afraid, she dropped her work, jumped over a wall, and ran. It turned out that her son, indeed, didn't kill anyone. Rather, there was another man in the area, also named Zheng Shen, who had committed murder. And people confused the two namesakes. Nonetheless, after hearing the rumor three times, even Zheng Shen's own mother believed the false story about her own son. And that is the power of lies. Repeat a lie enough times, and everyone will believe it in the end. Your own mother will come to believe the worst lie about you. The story carries even more force with the Chinese, because, as I'm going to tell you today, Zheng Shen wasn't just anybody. He was a saintly figure, one of the major figures of Confucianism. In fact, he is more commonly known as Zheng Zi, the Zi ending in Chinese being a term of respect added as a suffix to the names of major thinkers. To draw an imperfect analogy, this story about Zheng Shen might be equivalent to a story about St. Peter or St. Paul in the Christian tradition. Okay, so who was Zheng Zi? Zheng Shen, or later Zheng Zi, was born in 505 BC, during the Spring and Autumn era. His family claimed descent from King Yu. According to tradition, the hydraulic engineer who founded the Xia dynasty around 2070 BC. Except, of course, archaeologists have yet to establish whether or not the Xia dynasty actually existed. And Zheng Shen was from the state of Lu, the same Chinese state that Confucius hailed from. Zheng Zi's father, Zheng Dian, was one of Confucius's early students, and he was ranked among the 72 sages of the school of Confucius. Interestingly, though, Zheng Dian exhibited 
little of the kind of interest in government service that we later came to associate with Confucian philosophy. In one passage in the Analects, Confucius sat around chatting with several of his students. Confucius said to them, So tell me honestly, if you got the opportunity to do anything you wanted, what would that be? One student replied, I would like the chance to run a state of a thousand carriages, a thousand chariots. So that would be a state that's uh, reasonably large and strong, but not too strong. And manage its challenges, both foreign and domestic. I'm sure that in three years, I can bring affairs in such a state to excellence. Another student replied, I want to run a smaller area, a region of maybe 50, 60, or 70 li across. I'm sure that in three years, I can make sure that everyone in the region has plenty to eat. Confucius turned to a third student. What about you? This student was very modest. I'm not sure I'm wise and capable enough to be in charge of a country or province, but I'll be happy to serve as a deputy. Finally, Confucius turned to Zheng Dian. What about you? Zheng Dian replied, What I want is to be able to gather five or six friends with six or seven page boys as our servants and in March at the turn of spring go to the river for a swim, go up the hill for a little hike and walk home singing a tune. Confucius sighed and said, You know what? I think Zheng Dian has the right idea. After the group broke up and the other students walked away, Zheng Dian stayed behind and asked Confucius what he thought about their responses. Confucius replied, All they were talking about was affairs of state, one way or another. By implication, obviously, Zheng Dian's answer was exceptional because he wasn't thinking about politics and public service. And Confucius appreciated that. Anyway, so Zheng Shen was Zheng Dian's son. When Zheng Shen was 16, he went to his father's old teacher, Confucius, and also studied under him. Of course, this was now an elderly Confucius, nearing the end of his career. Confucius ended up dying when Zheng Shen was 27 years old. Zheng Shen at this time observed the morning rituals for Confucius like a son for his father. As his father once talked about how he didn't particularly want a political career, so Zheng Shen's involvement in political affairs of the time was rather minimal. When he was 50 years old, the sources tell us, for some reason, multiple governments simultaneously offered him high positions. The states of Qi, Chu, and Jing all made him offers. But Zheng Zi declined all of them, sticking instead to teaching. And as a teacher, he ended up teaching Confucius's grandson, who in turn later taught Mencius. 
Finally, Zheng Zi died in 432 BC, aged 73. For someone who participated minimally in contemporary affairs, Zheng Zi ended up enjoying tremendous influence and a position of honor in the pantheon of classical Chinese thinkers. Among Confucian philosophers, he ranks behind only his teacher Confucius and the student of his student Mencius. Although we think of the Analects as chiefly a collection of Confucius's sayings and teachings, it actually reports Zheng Zi's words on multiple occasions. And some of these became among the most famous passages from the Chinese classics. Christian missionaries going to China in the 16th century, like Matteo Ricci, took notice of the Confucian tradition of ancestor worship. Zheng Zi was a major force in emphasizing this. In the Analects, at one point, he said, A society where people pay respects to their parents and ancestors who have passed, where people think upon their ancestors fondly and remember where they come from, is a society where good morals prevail. Zheng Zi helped to establish the principle in Confucian ethics that being good, being just, is a matter of constant effort and self-improvement. It's an important idea. We can all be good if we try to be, but at the same time, no one is simply good. Rather, each of us has to engage in constant introspection and reflection, constant self-evaluation and criticism to make sure that we stay good. So, famously in the Analects, Zheng Zi said, Each day I ask myself three questions. In taking up causes with others, have I been loyal to those causes? In interactions with friends, have I been trustworthy and kept my promises? In my studies, have I put in the proper effort? Zheng Zi engaged in a modicum of scientific speculation, something that would be quite natural if he were a Greek philosopher, but was somewhat unusual for an ancient Confucian. Chinese tradition describes heaven as round, but the earth as a square. At one point, Zheng Zi pointed out that there was no way this was true. Because, he said quite simply, if heaven really were round, and the earth a square, then heaven wouldn't cover the four corners of the earth. Alright, this wasn't a major advancement in science or anything, but it showed Zheng Zi's character as someone who didn't just accept dogma, but applied his own critical thinking. As Mencius would later say, if you're going to believe everything you read in a book, then you'd be better off not having the book in the first place. Zheng Zi may be the author of the text known as Great Learning. I say maybe, because as far as modern scholars are concerned, the jury is still out on authorship. But the very influential Song Dynasty Neo-Confucian figure Zhu Xi believed that Zheng Zi was the author. And 
Great Learning was originally only one chapter in the Book of Rites, which largely recorded the ritual practices of the Zhou dynasty. It was collectively written by a number of students of Confucius and came to form one of the five classics of Confucianism. I mentioned just now that Zhu Xi was a Neo-Confucian, and the intellectual movement during the Song dynasty known as Neo-Confucianism deserves a separate discussion. Indeed, Zhu Xi can be the protagonist of his own episode. But for now, just know that Zhu Xi in the 12th century and other Neo-Confucian figures built on, and in some ways altered, what Confucianism meant. Kind of like how medieval scholastic figures like St. Thomas Aquinas expounded on the teachings of Christianity, and in so doing, altered them. And so Zhu Xi decided that the chapter on Great Learning by Zheng Zi was so important that it deserved to be published as a separate volume. And Great Learning became one of the four books, in addition to the five classics, that all Confucian students had to study. Great Learning in itself is actually a very short text. But of course, there have been exegeses upon exegeses on what it means. Great Learning famously opens with this sonorous sentence, The way of great learning is to express humanity's natural goodness, to become at one with the people, and to reach the greatest good. Like I said, an enormous amount of exegesis has gone into this sentence. And actually, my casual translation is necessarily an imperfect reflection of some of those interpretations. There was disagreement between Zhu Xi in the Song dynasty and the great Ming dynasty scholar Wang Yangming. Zhu Xi seemed to think these were separate goals, to express humanity's goodness, to become at one with the people, and to reach the greatest good. Wang Yangming seemed to think they were sequential. By expressing humanity's natural goodness, can we come to be at one with the people, and by doing that, can we achieve the greatest good? We can see that great learning has been hugely influential down to the present day, but considering how even in modern times, even major political figures have tried their hand at interpreting this passage. In 1934, Chiang Kai-shek decided to give a speech to the cadets at Republican China's Central Military Academy, in which he shared his thoughts on this passage. He agreed with Wang Yangming over Zhu Xi, in case you were wondering. And in 2014, that noted scholar of Confucianism, Xi Jinping, also shared his thoughts on this sentence. The natural goodness that Zheng Zi talked about, Xi Jinping said, could be the morality of an individual, but it could also be the core value of a nation or a political party. Just as a person 
cannot be upright without a moral core, so a nation cannot proceed without core values. More broadly, great learning set up this Confucian scheme that connected ethics with political philosophy. In the opening sentence, it told us about the three main goals. Why does natural goodness connect with becoming at one with the people? Because the aim of Confucian ethics is in the end political. Although, side note, this is sort of surprising given that Zheng Zi avoided public life in his lifetime. So then, Grey Learning gives us a sequence of eight items that a Confucian gentleman ought to try to check off one by one. Number one, no things, no objects. Two, possess knowledge. Three, become sincere in your intention. Four, ensure rectitude in your heart. Five, ensure the righteousness of your own person. Okay, again, my own imperfect understandings and failures in translation may not reflect these ideas all that well, but these five items may roughly combine to fulfill the goal of expressing humanity's natural goodness. And you see that so far, they're about the individual person. And then in steps six through eight, we're supposed to connect personal ethics with politics. So, six, bring your family affairs to order. Seven, bring your country to good governance. And finally, eight, bring peace to all under heaven. So, we can understand items six and seven as becoming one with the people. And then eight, world peace is the greatest good. Like I said, great learning has been hugely influential. So this sequence, this idea that you have to become a righteous person yourself, then bring order to your family affairs, and then finally be able to bring good governance to your country, has been the Chinese assumption for many centuries. Sun Yat-sen, who enjoyed copying out sections from the Book of Rights in his own calligraphy, cited this idea in his Three Principles of the People, which in turn is absorbed into the Constitution of the Republic of China, which remains, at least nominally, the governing document of Taiwan. I may add here, though, that although I've been telling you about a distinctly Chinese train of thought, my feeling is that Western philosophy has said some very similar things. Aristotle's politics argued that individual humans naturally combined to form households, families, and once you had enough households living next to each other, they naturally joined together to become a polis or a state. So, Aristotle gave us the same progression from individual to family to the polity. But okay, enough philosophy. 
We began this episode with a story from the life of Zheng Zi. Let's end with a few more of these anecdotes. Interestingly, most of the anecdotes about Zheng Zi's life seem to revolve around parenting. The story we opened with had to do with whether his own mother would believe in his innocence. In another story, it was said that when Zheng Zi's mother bit her own finger, Zheng Zi felt a pain in his heart. He so loved his mother that he had a kind of telepathic connection with her. For this legend, Zheng Zi came to be included in the Yuan Dynasty text, 24 Tales of Filial Piety. Another story says that his father, Zheng Dian, one time beat a young Zheng Zi unconscious. Today we would say the father was abusive, but back then he was just described as very strict. When Zheng Zi came to, he made sure to show his father that he was okay, that he wasn't seriously injured, implying that he accepted the punishment from his father as okay. Later, when Confucius heard the story, he told Zheng Zi that he was wrong. This is an interesting perspective on what real Confucian parenting ought to be like. Confucius said to Zheng Zi, A small beating you should accept, but you should run away from a serious beating. Confucius' reasoning? A serious beating could result in serious injury, or even be life-threatening. And a father who accidentally injured or even killed his own child would suffer ignominy for that. So a truly good son would run away to avoid such potential injury for himself and bad reputation for his father. Finally, there's a story about Zheng Zi himself as a parent. It was reported by the legalist philosopher Han Feizi. At one time, Zheng Zi's wife was going to the market, and their young son wanted to go with her and started throwing a tantrum. Zheng Zi's wife, in an effort to quiet him down, told him that if he stayed home, like he was told, when she got back from the market, she would slaughter a pig and serve pork for dinner that night. This was presumably a treat at the time. When Zheng Zi's wife returned from the market, Zheng Zi produced a knife and got ready to slaughter a pig. Zheng Zi's wife said, no, 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 no. I was only saying that to the kid so that he would stop crying and making a fuss. But Zheng Zi said, we have to keep our promises even to our child. If we don't, then we're teaching him to be dishonest, and he will consider his parents to be liars. So they killed the pig and had pork that evening. All right. On that arguably heartwarming note, this has been MODG. Thank you very much for listening.